Hi and welcome to Mad Beef, the Australian rollerblading podcast. This is Mikey Lynch and today we've got part three of my interview with Ian Smith from the Roaches International uh, team back in the 1990s. Uh, In this episode, we pick up where the last episode left off in 1997 um, and basically focus on that year, the first year where Ian travelled internationally and competed in several competitions in both the United States and in Europe. If you haven't called the other two um, instalments of this interview, uh, you can find them uh, on the podcast, get on um, iTunes or SoundCloud or just scroll down the Facebook page um, and you'll find them there. It's really, I mean, they're, they're all really great, fun to hear and it gives you the context in which this one picks up from. All right, enjoy. So, yeah, uh, basically I think we're coming into about 1997 at around about now and, um, yeah, I was uh, coming out of high school so my father... Uh, being the the diligent man he is, the business owner, he had a, a ceiling business, wanting um, me to be doing something with my life and seeing me doing a lot of skating and coming out of a like a very reputable school, and um, you know my parents were very proud of me um, getting into this uh, selective school and being chosen because of my IQ and all that sort of stuff that I didn't really care about. Um, and getting fantastic marks and then sort of waning off because I was spending too much time skating and then uh, looking at uh, entering university and me saying, yeah, you know, college, not really, maybe, I don't know, and um, trying to, to keep them happy. So I started working with my father uh, in through yep. the beginning of 1997 and uh, he was basically installing suspended ceilings and doing carpentry and that sort of stuff. He was a builder by trade. And um, so I was doing that sort of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of every week. And then uh, at the end of the week, I'd head off to my friend's place uh, over on the northern beaches of Sydney and just skate. And, um, you know, staying out there and going clubbing with my friends because now I was turning 18. And, uh, you know, that was all getting very exciting. And... um, Doing yep. demos with Manly Blades on the weekends, and uh, Bill sending us round to to different schools. You know, it was it was really pumping. Ninety seven was uh, was really huge for inline, and um, I was at work one day. I, I remember, you know, half handing my uh, my father some tools to um, to start doing something uh, that he was doing on a ceiling and. I got a phone call, so I, I ran off, you know, to my father's dismay on my my brick Motorola phone, <clears throat> and um, <laughs> it was uh, my uh, manager from Rosis saying, "Hey, have you got a a passport? Because um, you know we've we've got an invitation here for you." I'm like, "Oh, this sounds interesting," and. Um, so she's like, yeah, we've um, we've got an invitation for you to go to uh, uh, an ASA in Philadelphia, and also a um, so ASA for those who don't know stands for uh, American Skating Association, I believe it was, yep. and then NIS NIS uh, National Inline Skating Series, uh, which was in Wildwood, New Jersey, and um, they were only you know, the better part of a week and a bit or two weeks apart. So it was going to be one big trip. I'm like, this sounds fantastic. Sign me up. 
<clears throat> and um, ran off to the the nearest government agency to try and get myself an up to date passport because I didn't really have one. And um, I was actually a British citizen at the time, and uh, so I, I sent off a letter to the British High Commission and also to the Australian um, Embassy, uh, asking for you know Australian citizenship and. Um, uh, an Australian passport and... Both for, your parents are British or just yes, one of them? Yes, correct. Yeah. We mm. emigrated when I was you know, 18 months old, so I'd been in Australia for the whole of my life. I don't know anything else. Uh, but I was not born here, so I wasn't um, an Australian citizen. Yep. And it just so happened that the, um, the Australian government never got back to me. And uh, the British uh, government got back to me in about... Uh, five days with a, a reply to to send them off some money in a photo and um, so I got a, my British passport <clears throat> and um, then all I needed was a, a visa because obviously you know if I'm a British citizen I need a visa to get back into Australia so anyway yep. paid a little bit of extra money uh, got my visa done and uh, within a couple of weeks I was heading off to the States um, and is this the first time apart from when you were 18 months had you been overseas prior no that was it um, wow. and it was yep. it was you know I'd, I'd travelled around Australia I wasn't um, you know I'd, I'd been on planes before going um, skating yeah, yeah. In, uh, in different states within Australia but the first time I'd been overseas that I was aware of <clears throat> and uh, obviously it was without my parents, without anyone. So I had, um, luckily, my who I sort of felt as my mentor at the time, which was Sesamora, and yep. um, uh, Josh Clark was also going along with us. Josh was the uh, the up-and-comer from Melbourne, and um, I knew Tim Ward was on his way as well. Yep. Uh, but we're all going to this uh, competition series. We're going to compete in ASA. And it started off with a, a set of demonstrations and things across the uh, the Southern California sort of region. So um, uh, we landed in LA. Now, can I just pause you for a second? Two yeah. quick questions. Sure. One is, what's it like? As you've got, um, you've got one kid or two kids? Three. Three kids. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, as you think about, like, you know putting yourself now, you know, beginning to put yourself into your parents' shoes and being more at that stage of life rather than at, you know, 90s Ian stage. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what are your thoughts about what that would be like as a parent having, you know, having a kid that you've invested all this time and hope for and, you know, seeing them succeed academically? And then, I mean, sport, even like a really established sport, it's a really it's a, you know potentially a great career but also a really risky one right in terms of like one injury and, yeah. and it's all gone and well, even then it only has a shelf life and then this is a sport that's this really new sport and you know what's that like looking back at that now thinking as a dad at that whole thing how do you think you'd go if you know if your kid ends up becoming whatever the rollerblading is of 2028 or something yeah whatever it will be no mm. i've um rollerblading I've actually, man it's coming back man <laughs> could be anything <laughs> um, well, yes, exactly. Well, I've um, I've thought about it uh, a bit uh, because you know I'm I've actually grown up fairly close to my brother, being 18 months apart, and seeing him go through a similar journey um, with BMX. 
And him now right. having his own children, he's um, 18 months younger than me, and his kids are around about that sort of stage. He also has three children. And um, so thinking about myself and him and uh, speaking with him a few times, and I've never really been one to push my kids into something. Um, I don't think my father ever really pushed me into anything. He would encourage me, and I think that's sort of what I've done with my children. <clears throat> and I yep. think that's sort of better, and it's sort of for all of the aspects of their, of uh, my and their lives. I don't want to, to tell them anything as fact unless I believe that it is uh, a fact. And, um, you know, we've we've tried out all the sports and all of that sort of stuff, and if they haven't grabbed onto it and said, you know, Dad, I really like this, I haven't really pushed them into it. Yep. And... Um, as that so happens, my eldest has really sort of liked rollerblading. And, um, you know, he asks, you know, can we go down to the skate park, Daddy? And, you know, he'll go down and he can drop in on the small ramps and um, roll around. You know, he's, uh, what, nine years old at the moment, or eight years old, sorry. And, um, you know, he can get himself around and stop and turn and all that sort of stuff. So I've got him uh, an old pair of Majestic 12s that I managed to find at a second-hand place here and just stuck some nice eulogy wheels on there. And um, he can kick around great. And uh, sort of projecting what I was thinking forward for him, you know, whether or not I want to sort of go out of my way to push him into being able to have the opportunities uh, that I did being... I was much older than him. I was sort of 16, 17 <clears throat> when, um, when I started skating. Being able to transport myself to and from and doing so, you know, four or five times a week would transport myself to ramps, uh, whether or not I would want to push him into doing that same sort of thing when I can see his other skills and his other talents, um, particularly with him as in computers. Yeah. And um, I know how much safer in terms of physical safety um, computers are than, than rollerblading and, and the potential for earning and all that sort of stuff. And... Um, so I've sort of given him the opportunity to um, to do the skating thing, but um, haven't really pushed him into doing it. Uh, but look, I'm not against any of it, and um, and I, I definitely want to, to continue to have him exposed to it. And he sees me when I go down there. You know, I invite him along if he wants to go when I go skating. And they're doing a resurface at the moment down at the local. Mm -hmm. So um, that'll be nice when it's finished. We'll spend a bit more time down there. Uh, but it can be a little bit scary thinking about, hey, if I push my child into it, you know, now they could do the, the same thing as me and, you know, not push their studies as much. And, uh, you know, they could become, you know, injured in their first year or they could, you know, go on to um, to go into the the next Red Bull team or something like that and earn more money than I could have ever earned at the time. But... Um, not knowing is the the scary bit, and um, I reckon, yeah, and I think it's uh, maybe a little bit safe of me, uh, but also I want him to be able to take ownership of his life when it comes to um, to the point where he's able to do so, um, and say that he made that decision, not oh yeah, my dad made me go down to the skate park every day sort of stuff yeah, or cool. you know he took me to the soccer ball you know the soccer park and made me kick the ball around and you know forced me to be freezing cold on a Saturday morning and whatever 
because uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't enjoy that either. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's it, isn't it? Like, I guess we have the ability as the older person to have the perspective and ask those old, boring, what are you going to do when you're 40 questions? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of your job. But I guess to still be a supportive parent who can say, you know, recognize opportunities and back a kid if they're going to do the less safe thing yeah. and uh, and go, okay, cool, you're taking this risk and it's a big risk and it's a big opportunity, but I'm not going to be so sensible that I'm not going to also support you in pursuing something that's very, you know, yeah. sort of very different to what you might otherwise do. Yeah. No, it's good it's, and it's a tough decision because uh, yeah. I, I personally want to do the right thing, but I also don't want to totally displace uh, my responsibility as a parent and let the child decide because obviously the child is, you know, being juvenile, not fully understanding and aware of the situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, you have to be there to support them and guide them in the way that's best for them, but also, you know, don't want you to be the um, the governor of all the decisions. Yeah. Hey, um, and the other quick question before we get into actually landing in the States is give us a quick little um, rundown. What as much as you can remember, what were you rolling with? What, were you, what was your setup? Wow, my setup at the time, I wish I could remember exactly. I think I was running, it would have been M12s. Um, there were a couple of different types of M12s at the moment, uh, at that time. There was the Mexico 12s, which was the yellow cuff. And um, and the black uh, composite frame, um, but it was always four down. I think I was running sixty twos, yep. um, so not really interested in the grinding thing. Uh, could do bits and pieces, uh, but it wasn't overly my thing. Uh, but basically, uh, four down sixty two mil, uh, decent high cuff, uh, plastic, majestics. Yep. And, um, yeah, going for the speed. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, um, yeah, cool. it was, it was all about the speed and there was sort of this big division at the time and, um, it, it became more obvious as that year progressed. I think that year specifically sort of started the real separation, uh, because there were so many people around who were doing, um, the vert tricks on street and, yep. um, yeah, even in that era, um, the the Josh Clarks and Tim Wards who were doing the the street thing sort of better than anyone, still had the the big front flip and back flip tricks, and that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, the their grinding complement just uh, sort of started to take over. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the wheels were Cosmo wheels or something else. I'm pretty sure at the time I was on Kryptonics. Uh, it was okay. uh, on flow from Kryptonics. I had a local distributor, and um, yeah, I was uh, running. I can't remember the pebbles because um, mm. we we tossed up between the pebbles and the boulders for the correct size. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I remember Matt was running the boulders with pebbles on the inside, so sort of an Annie Rocker style. Mm. Uh, but then there was a sixty-two mil version, which uh, which yeah. I was liking at the time. Yep. Yeah. So you're, touch, you're touching down in America. And touching down. Carry on. And um, I've, uh, I was there, like I said, with my mentor, uh, Sessa. And um, 
Sessa being who he was would um, would talk me through everything. He was he was fantastic as as a friend, and um, never a sort of a tell you what to do person, but definitely mm. a, a give you a heads up on what was happening. And uh, one of the first things I remember him saying was talking about the people uh, who were in the airport and what you would expect to see when you leave. And one thing in particular at the time was a um, quote-unquote scam where uh, yeah. a young child would come up to you at the airport and uh, offer to sell you a, a watch at a significantly discounted price and uh, that this person... Uh, you know, a juvenile would have uh, an older person who was watching on to see what you would do, and if you brought out a, a wallet or something like that, then uh, that would make you a target. And uh, I remember him warning me about that and me being so worried about it. And, <laughs> um, yeah, walking around, like, keeping my eyes peeled for anyone who fit that sort of description <laughs> um, was, you know, my introduction to the States. And um, it actually wasn't bad. Having been there a few times since then, I think my my first time landing in the States was actually quite good because uh, LAX can be quite a bit of a trial if, um, if you're not used to it um, and you don't know what to expect. Uh, but walking out of it uh, was kind of exactly what I'd expected, exactly what, um, what you see on television uh, at the time. It was the the big yellow uh, sedans with the taxis, mm. and they were lined up waiting for us. We jumped into the back with the plexiglass between the front and the back because that's something. I mean, even today we don't really have much of in Australia. Um, you know, if I get a taxi uh, from my local airport, generally I'll just jump in the front with the taxi guy and just chat to him uh, from the passenger yeah. seat. And there's no glass between me or him or anything like that. And um, it was, uh, you know, this big spin-out for me <clears throat> at the time to be in the back, you know, like kind of like a prisoner with a, a big piece of plexiglass and a couple of holes in it so I could talk to the taxi driver. Um, and looking out the window and, oh, my goodness, I'm on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. this is weird. You know, I knew it was coming, but it was still weird. And 90% uh, of the cars were gigantic. Like, why do they need such big cars? And, you know, we stop at a service station for gas, not petrol, mm. and um, there's a whole aisle in the, um, the gas station which sells alcohol. And, like, the petrol station has alcohol. That's okay. And they also have, like, their own subway. They'll sell sandwiches and all this sort of stuff. And... Um, at the time, that was really strange to me because in Australia, we, um, yeah, at, you go to a petrol station, you might, you know, buy some sweets, you know, candy, whatever, a couple of drinks or something, but um, there wasn't a lot to buy in the actual shop part. You just go get your petrol and you leave. Um, so these uh, these stores were quite interesting and different. Yeah. Um, and me being about eight hours out of my time zone... Um, we arrive at our airport, sorry, we arrive at the, um, the hotel and um, check in, drag my bag up to the room. I'm like, okay, guys, I've had enough. I need to sleep because it should be the middle of the night at the moment and it's about, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. And um, so I go and 
drift off to sleep. That's uh, that's me for the day. Everybody goes off to their own rooms. And um, I just remember waking up first thing in the morning and thinking, hold on a moment, this is uh, America. You know, it's the afternoon now. I've just slept through about six odd hours or whatever. And um, <coughs> and they have cable television, right? Because, you know, at the time we had Foxtel was uh, a fairly new thing, but we had Optus Vision, which was, you know, maybe 10 channels or something. Uh, but in the States on the television, we'd see them with hundreds of channels and that sort of thing. And that was, you know, a big thing. These days, it's nothing. We've all got Netflix and, you know, there's 20 different ways to get hundreds of channels and downloading and all that sort of stuff. But at the time, it was a big thing because the internet was still fairly new at the time. And um, so I flicked on the channel, started flicking through the channels, thinking, wow, this is really cool. Um, And then noticed that there was, you know, out of the the 15 channels that had gone through, about six of them were all on exactly the same thing. And there was apparently this siege uh, that was happening on the side of the road with uh, a guy that had holed himself up in a mobile home in a caravan on the side of the road. And, um, you know, there was SWAT teams moving in and, like, tons of police cars all over the place. And then they mentioned that it was in, um, in South L.A., where I was, I was in Marina del Rey, mm. and um, thinking, "Wow, that's strange." And then, you know, walk over to the the window, and I can see all the helicopters flying around. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And uh, walk back to the television, and then I see the SWAT go in, and they they throw in flashbangs, and then I I hear the bang, but I actually heard the bang through the window, not through the television. Thinking, "Holy crap, this is only a couple of streets away," and this was just you know, mind-blowing to me as a kid. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, that wasn't why we were there and, and everything panned out fine. You know, they, they captured him, obviously, a, a person with uh, with something to lose and a bit of a mental condition uh, was up the road and I just happened to wake up and turn the TV on at the wrong time. Um, but uh, we went through that day and, um, you know, I just went for a, a walk up the street with a couple of friends, got the, the warnings of which streets to go down and which streets not to go down. Because um, yeah. skating through L.A. at the time, especially in the late 90s, um, you could end up in the wrong part of town and um, get yourself into trouble. So um, I had a, a couple of friends and um, and Sessa with me who were, who were willing to sort of steer me in the right direction, which was nice basically towards Venice Beach and, uh, you know, went to the, the local Mexican place, got a, a massive burrito, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, at the time, it wasn't a thing in Australia. We hadn't really seen too much of them. I knew what they were, but, um, you know, it was huge. And bottomless drinks, that was unheard of. But anyway, yeah, um, went down the beach and we were skating along the beachfront. This is before there was any skate parks or anything uh, on the beach, but... Um, skating along and they had some uh, markets uh, not just the the actual shop fronts there but some um, stalls set up it was fantastic uh, skating around just like you'd seen in uh, in video games and things um, all the the television shows that I'd ever watched were all sort of coming to life you know I was here on Venice yeah. Beach it was the coolest going up to um, Santa Monica uh, seeing the pier and um, the you know the Ferris wheel and the 
the roller coaster. It was uh, just amazing, and you know, I was just ecstatic to be there. And um, I had my my phone card on hand because, of course, at the time there was no such thing as taking a mobile phone overseas. Because uh, yeah, cell phones were for home use only. There was no use in taking them anywhere else. So um, got the the fifteen dollar phone card and had to call up my mum to make sure that she knew I was okay. Because like it or not, I was um, only eighteen and uh, still living, you know, fifty percent of the time at home. That was me for the day again. But uh, this yeah. time, woke up and it was it was a new day. And we met our uh, our team manager, who shuffled us onto a little bus, and uh, we went for a drive around. Basically, he'd had a, um, a little itinerary of uh, demonstrations set up for us. So we were to go down to San Diego and do some demos at a couple of skate parks down there, meet some of the locals, do some autograph signing at some um, skate shops, and then uh, to go up to Ventura, where they had one of the best skate parks which we'd seen in a couple of the VG movies. Uh, I think uh, VG4 had come out only just beforehand and um, had a few shots of Ventura in there. They had this gigantic vert wall that was so cool. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, did all that sort of stuff. And uh, we were we were there for probably three, four days and uh, until we were back on a plane. And uh, this time we're heading off to Pennsylvania. This is where our, um, when I say our, it was uh, Cessa and myself. And uh, sorry if I've forgotten anybody else, but I remember Josh Clark was there as well. Um, we were going into the, the ASA. Uh, so did you feel at this stage that you'd skated in enough different places in all the demonstrations you'd done back in Australia that the, uh, the skating equivalent of kind of stage fright had been overcome so that wherever you were, whatever context, whatever a particular ramp or park, you felt like you could find your feet pretty quickly and do your thing? Or was that what was that part of the weirdness of this trip to the States, kind of getting used to that in a whole other way? What was that level of it like? When you actually came to the skating, yeah, were you able to just this, do this your thing? This was sort of the introduction stage? to that. This was yeah. me going from, you know, my choice as to where we were going mm. and what we were doing to this is where you're going to go and these people will be judging you while you are there. Because um, yeah. even beforehand when we were going to demonstrations and all that sort of stuff where we had limited control over where we were going because it was you know designated by whoever was organising the trip, um, it was still our choice. If we wanted to stop, we weren't penalised for not going at any particular time or anything like that. Um, it was only local competitions in which case you know we'd been on those ramps hundreds of yeah. times before. Um, so this trip was the first time I'd been anywhere where, um, you know, it was someone who was paying me. We were being paid per day, uh, per diem for, for being there. Um, and then also, you know, we were being paid for our time and then we were being given pretty much everything we needed anyway. Um, so, you know, there was this, uh, expectation, uh, that we had to perform a certain task and, uh, and that was to skate. And um, it, it sort of started making it feel like it was a profession rather than just something we wanted to do. Mm. We weren't just sort of going out skating as kids anymore. And, um, you know, even though we, we clearly were, 
looking back several times over um, some of the, the interviews and things that we did at the time, we really hadn't thought through anything. We were just going with the flow. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is embarrassing a few times looking at what we know now and thinking about the advice that we were given at the time. And this is where, you know, when you're a kid and someone gives you advice, and you're like, yeah, whatever, man, and don't do it. And then after the fact, you're like, oh, yeah, I probably should have done that. And, you know, it's too late. But, um, you know, you, you want to forge your own path. You want to be the master of your own destiny. But um, sometimes, you know, you have to take into account that uh, the people with experience may have experience uh, that is really valuable to you and you should really listen to it. And um, it happened a mm, couple of times to me. Uh, during interviews, I remember um, uh, there was an interview which I had with an Australian television station and um, I was told at the time beforehand, thinking, hey, you know, you know they're going to ask you these couple of questions and they gave me some examples and um, I had one of my sponsors at the time come up to me and say, hey, just make sure that you mention this and this, basically talking about the product and, um, you know, the, the locations and then the, the attitude and that sort of stuff. And um, when it came to actually talking about it, um, I basically froze up, uh, first of all. And then what came out of my mouth was not really coherent and uh, sort of embarrassingly the wrong thing to say at the time. It was more of a, yeah, you know, love skating and, oh, yeah, we did this and we did a shifty and it was cool. And I'm like, what? And the the interviewer just looks at you and like, yep, no worries, it's just a kid and moves on to the next question. You haven't actually answered anything, haven't made your sponsors mm. happy except for you wearing their T-shirt and hat. Um, but, you know, if you just listened to them and said, okay, I should say these things, then, you know, it would have looked exactly what you would expected it to have looked like. Yeah, yeah. And uh, moving on to where we're actually going, we flew from L.A. to Philly. We were in, um, you know, sort of the, the outskirts at the time in a hotel, and uh, it was nighttime. We were sort of fairly early. Um, not thinking of going to sleep or anything, but I was hanging around the, the foyer of the hotel, sort of wondering what we can do at the time, and uh, Aaron Feinberg sort of walks past, and I sort of, hey, you know, I know you from such videos as, uh, but I just sort of, you know, said hello and that sort of stuff, and um, he mentioned he was going out for a skate, asked if he wanted to go with him, I'm like, yeah, sure, let's head out. So um, he's like, yep, meet down here in five minutes, I'm like, not a problem run up to the, the room, grab my skates, come back down, and him and two other guys were, uh, were ready for going for a skate. And, um, you know, we just started rolling around the streets of Philadelphia in the middle of the night, you know, just mm. a, a bunch of kids, basically. And, um, you know, he was a, a guy who, you know, I'd seen on videos and and just thought, you know, I'd, it's something to aspire to. Many of the tricks that he was doing were, were not really my thing. He was a street skater um, and more of a, you know, street park. Uh, yeah. And I was definitely heavily vert. And, um, but I was definitely trying to do a lot of the, the things that he was doing and just sort of being with him, skating with him, was, uh, was this experience that was quite surreal at the time. And um, 
putting him in perspective of sort of reality and knowing, you know, that this is, you know, a real person. Uh, starting to think yeah. of the the people that we were skating with, because up until then it would st- it had still been my friends that I was skating with. It was still you know Cesar and Tim Ward and and Josh Clark. It wasn't anybody who I'd really seen other than uh, you know the the visit from Chris Edwards uh, in '96 uh, to Bondi that I'd ever skated with anybody, and that was a massively crowded you know event that was just sort of over the top. Um, so this yeah. was, you know, that one-on-one experience where you go, you know, this is someone who I, I would hesitate to say a hero, but someone who I'd tried to emulate and thought, you know, you know, highly of. And he was just, you know, a person, just a kid who I was trying to, um, you know, just skate with. And it was very, very cool. And I really enjoyed it. We didn't do anything. There was nothing, no huge hammers thrown or anything that evening. But... Um, you know, skating around and jumping off uh, a couple of banks and hitting a few ledges and um, did some stuff that was just really cool and starting to realise that these people are, are just people as well. You know, they're not machines that are made to skate and are some sort of freaks of nature. You know, they might be able to do things, uh, but they're just normal people. And um, that was a, a very cool night that, um, that I will, will take with me. And, um, you know, I went to bed uh, a happy person that day and um, got up the next morning and this was it. This was the the first day that I would be at a competition that was an international competition. And um, the street was up first and I watched uh, Josh Clark just smash the street. Uh, I believe he placed first in that one. And awesome. um, watching him up against all those other guys who, you know, I'd seen on videos, um, it was just amazing. Um, you know, when you when you make it real uh, and you don't get 50 attempts at, uh, at a specific spot, you know, they're all on the spot doing what they do and it comes down to consistency. Um, Josh just really pulled through. <coughs> and... Um, yeah, then it was vert time, and uh, Sessa came up to me and he's like, man, you know, I know this is your first comp. This is the first time you've been on this in this sort of situation. And he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, do what you know. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll just go and skate and I'll be fine. I know how to do all those tricks. And um, so then we were out out on the skates, uh, on the ramp, and it was, you know, some sort of built, uh, purpose-built for the event ramp um, in a car park somewhere, and there was hundreds of people watching, and there was all of the, the pavilion sort of set up, the, uh, the mobile pavilion with um, tents of all sorts of descriptions with lots of different skate products, and, uh, you know, Panasonic was there and Sony had their own tent and all this sort of stuff all set up. You know, these events were huge. It was absolutely amazing. And, you know, there was five different angles of video cameras and they're all wow. pointing at us. And, um, and I remember first up was Mike Budnick. And uh, I remember everybody was annoyed because there was no Ghost Rider. And I had no idea what a Ghost Rider meant. I was thinking, what, some flaming skull guy on a motorbike? What are you talking about? (laughs) And uh, basically, in competition terms, uh, it means that somebody 
who is either high or mid-range on the um, on the competition scale would go first and all of the judges would judge that person and they would give them a score and that score would be somewhere in the sort of three-quarter-ish high percentage of scores and then everyone else after that is judged against that person um, and that person then gets to go last in line or they might not be competing in that competition. So uh, basically it gives the judges a, a way of uh, zeroing out. They get their, their level so they're able to, to actually accurately judge people and because that wasn't yep. a thing that uh, that particular competition, everybody was really upset and you know I didn't get it at the time. Uh, but I can kind of see now uh, what was going on. Uh, but, yeah, I remember Mike Budnick going first and um, him doing all his, his uh, bits and pieces. He had some amazing strength. The guy was basically a bodybuilder. And uh, some of the inverts and things he was doing was just phenomenal. And um, I was watching Cesar after him, thinking, yeah, you know, he's another second place for me. And um, then my turn came up, and uh, I thought, okay, wow, the judges, and uh, did a couple of airs. I think I was, you know, in the five to six footish, thinking, you know, this is really cool. And first thing comes to my head, okay, I'll do a, a backflip, and then I'll back it up with a fakie nine hundred. And of course, that wasn't my usual line. And that meant that my 900 ended up with me on my knees and uh, sliding away. And uh, got back up on the ramp and still managed to do enough tricks to um, to get all of my vocab out. But um, I sort of destroyed half of my run. And then I was thinking back and like, okay, what Sessa really meant by do what you know was don't do the 900 first. He meant, you know, do all the tricks that you land every single time and then wait for the last couple. But it was too late at that stage. And uh, the, the knockout format meant that uh, I didn't really get another chance at that one. Uh, so I got to sit it out and wait for everybody else to get their places. And uh, I ended up with, a, I believe it was a seventh place at the time. And... Um, to my surprise, you know, in Australia you get seventh, you get uh, thanks for coming. Uh, there, it was a prize money and a prize pack, and you still had uh, sponsors coming up to you afterwards. And you know, <laughs> was walking up to me and saying, "Hey, would you like to wear my gloves?" And um, uh, Panasonic asking if I, I needed any product or anything, and you know, people offering me T-shirts. And I'm thinking, you know, I just fell over. They're like, yeah, but you're on the ramp. And um, then it sort of really sort of clicked into my head, like what what I was doing there was this big thing. And, you know, I wasn't in, you know, Australia anymore with our, our little following that was, you know, still big for us. But this was now a really, really big stage. Um, and the amount of people watching us and the, the depth and what we were actually able to get out of it was a lot more. I'm like, okay... I'm starting to see what we're actually doing here. And um, I got to meet a, a bunch of new people there. And um, it was just a, a, a different thing for me to be able to go and see all these people whom I knew, uh, only from videos and all that sort of stuff. 
and uh, you know shake hands with my idols and uh, and see them like in the flesh. Yeah. I remember that evening we were um, we were on a bus uh, because there was a, a an after party, and the after party was basically going to the Hard Rock and uh, and having a few Coca Colas and a, a meal. And, um, you know, having some music and just chatting. And um, we were sitting on a bus and they had, uh, I think it was VG4 on the, um, on the video screens on the bus. And they were watching uh, Matt Mance do his section and talking about him like, you know, he was just one of the boys. And, you know, I'd only heard of him in videos. I hadn't seen him before. And it was, you know, just another tap on the shoulder and like you're actually in a different place at the moment. It was um, yeah. It was really cool watching um, watching people who now you know I was sort of starting to consider friends. You know, see who who they were and see this different level of people. And um, that was yeah. It was definitely an experience. And yeah. Um, so day after that, uh, we were on a different uh, on a different little bus. Uh, driving from uh, Philadelphia City to Woodward, PA. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I met Ezekwe Anderson, one of the nicest people who I still consider one of the nicest people I've ever met. And, um, you know, we were sitting on a bus for a, a couple of hours or, you know, a minivan uh, driving out to Woodward. And uh, we get there. And, uh, you know, this is a place that, you know, I still hadn't seen that much of and it had featured in a couple of videos but was still sort of, you know, legend to many. And, Disneyland, um, right? Well, it was, you know, another world. It was constantly under construction. Like literally every day there was something new. But rolling into this place and just seeing these massive structures and inside every single one, uh, bar one third that was just gymnastics was a different ramp set up and it wasn't just you know inline skating you know I'd come from um, a background of uh, my brother being BMX and um, you know we'd been into skateboarding and all that sort of stuff beforehand and seeing you know Dave Mirror you know and um, all these skateboarders who I'd only heard of and, um, you know, we're all together and we're skating together and we're respecting each other and giving each other time. It was absolutely mind-blowing. And um, so, yeah, we went there, you know, I, I chucked my stuff on a bunk. I was considered a travelling pro, which was um, a visiting pro, which was easy for me because basically meant that I didn't have to do any work. A lot of the, the people who go to Woodward, I'm sure there's many, many different... Um, ways in which you can uh, get your time there but uh, some you have to do canteen duty some you have to do lessons and uh, there was all sorts of ways in which you can uh, stay there if you have you know a particular talent but Rosas had uh, put my name up as a traveling pro so I got to roll around and um, <coughs> got to meet uh, Roadhouse yep. and uh, Fabiola and uh, Mike Burke and all these other guys who I'd only ever seen on videos, you know, it was constantly happening. Um, and Chris Edwards again on these massive ramps and huge outdoor and indoor areas uh, that were 
purpose-built just for us to do exactly what we wanted to do and literally walk up to one of the staff and say, hey, you know, if this was this bit bigger or this bit different, it would be better. And, you know, if the right person said it, within a couple of days they would change it to suit your needs. It was um, wow, just absolutely something to behold. And by this time I had um, damaged myself enough that uh, I wanted to give myself some time off. Uh, I was running um, pawn wrist guards, and I remember my uh, my right wrist at the time having fallen on it so many times that uh, without a wrist guard, I couldn't actually turn a doorknob to open a door. I'd lost all the strength in it. And, mm. um, yeah, so uh, this, when I was there in that time, in that place, going, okay, I'm here. How many times am I going to get here? And, uh, you know, what opportunity do I have uh, in front of me? Do I rest my injury or do I keep going and risk making it worse? And, um, yeah, it uh, it became difficult. Um, But I was there for for several days and, um, yeah, we did a a lot of... uh, a lot of skating around uh, in all the different places. Some of the the stuff we did there, because that was the first time that I'd really seen a, a proper uh, roll in to um, to foam pit. So yeah. practicing double flips onto onto foam and then onto resi, like we didn't have anything like that. It was just unheard of. Um, and then, that's full on. I mean, that's a full kind of professional athlete setup sort of thing, then, isn't it? I mean, it really is just sort of it was. Olympic quality sort of no, thing. And, it's and very, we very actually yeah. saw that. I remember mm. doing that uh, rolling stuff. I saw some freestyle aerial skiers, um, and basically yeah. they were there with rollerblades on, going down the the rolling and practicing freestyle aerials. So you know, double and triple flips with you know five wow. turns and that sort of stuff. Not what we were trying to achieve at all. But they were on rollerblades doing it, and um, awesome. Yeah, it was a spin-out. Thinking, yeah. okay, this is a professional thing. Yeah, um, it yeah. was. It was very, very different. And um, yeah, like I said, being there with um, with some of these other professionals, and one night in particular, I remember at Woodward, we were um, <clears throat> we were invited out with the the BMX guys to go to a, a campfire. Because uh, you know it's very rural, or at least it was at the time, um, Woodward, PA, and so you know we could drive a short distance and be in the middle of nowhere, and there was just a bush, like a, a campfire, and um, and they all had you know uh, beer and all that sort of stuff. And even though you know I was six months into being eighteen, that meant that I was not able to drink anything in the states. And, um, you know, they were, they were fairly responsible. They weren't about to hand me anything and I wasn't about to push my, uh, my legal limits there. But, um, yeah, that was another a strange thing to me because, you know, I'd waited my, um, my 18 years to, to get the, the taste of alcohol and, and being in my youth was, was not averse to, um, for, you know, having some on the weekend. Well, and, it's um, like you sort of pushed back in time by yeah, going to being a sent back and saying, age. "No, no, no, yeah. you're too young now." I'm like, "Well, okay." Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. If I have to. Hey, talk to what you say about kind of, you know, spending time with the BMXs and skateboarders and, you know, surely there were twits at the top end of all those different sports. But it's often the case, isn't it, that you can have these annoying turf wars at other levels in sort of various subcultures. But when you get to the top of it, sometimes that stuff dissipates because people are just serious about what they're doing. It's, it's nice to hear that that was the case in your yeah. experience. That, I think. No, yeah. look, I, I, I have seen and in my experience I've seen several um, who have been good and not so good, but the, the yeah. overwhelming amount have been really nice people. And especially the BMX guys, you know, I, I think especially with BMX, because they didn't feel threatened by us. We weren't taking anything from them. At the time, the skateboarders obviously had a little bit of a, um, a turf war with us uh, because we were using the yeah. same things in the same sort of manner, same height. Like the BMX guys, we just were not in the same league. I remember standing on that ramp uh, doing the, the welcome demo at Woodward and having uh, Dave Mirror at least 12 feet over my head, thinking, <laughs> OMG, I yeah. need to sit down because I'm just being embarrassed, like getting my six to seven foot air, I just felt embarrassed. And, um, yeah, so I think the BMX guys just were not really threatened by us. They were happy to have us along so that they could have a break in between doing 900s 10 foot out. You know, mm. <laughs> they weren't worried. Um, but yeah, all the skateboarders were really good to us. Uh, in general, in Woodward, um, you sort of keep your distance because um, you try to, um, most of the time, because it's a, a summer camp mainly, there's groups of kids there, you know, groups of 10 to 20 kids who are all using one ramp at a time to try and learn something or, you know, practice a certain discipline. And um, as a, a visiting pro we were basically told that you know just steer clear of the um the kids who were learning stuff um mm. and in that that was most of the the easiest way to to steer clear of the the different disciplines because the, the skateboarders were off doing their own thing and there were so many opportunities to do whatever we wanted and we could do it at whatever time of night as long as we weren't making too much noise uh we wanted it was cool um and yeah, I remember you know spending time running around the the fields there uh, with Tim Ward. The first time I saw a bumblebee, because you know we have honeybees in Australia, mm. and uh, honeybees are all of you know two centimeters long, maybe an inch uh, at best. And some of the bumblebees I saw in the states were like you know a sparrow. They were gigantic. I'm sure they weren't, but. Um, in my little 18-year-old eyes that I'd never seen this bright yellow thing coming straight for me that was casting a shadow, uh, they were a flip out. And bullfrogs, uh, these mm. gigantic frogs that were everywhere and loud as hell in the middle of the night, uh, running around the, the ponds and catching them because, you know, we just we didn't have them. Uh, we had frogs, sure, but um, they were smaller and not quite uh, the look of these things. And the, the owls at night, because uh, in Australia, you know, we have fruit bats and, uh, and cockatoos making noises. <clears throat> but, yep. uh, yeah, in the States, owls, and they were actually making the who sound. Because, yeah, I'd, I'd not heard that before. The owls in Australia are very quiet. <laughs> they basically pretend to be logs, and uh, you don't see them most of the time. Um, so it was cool sort of getting a look at the, um, the local wildlife and things. Um, but, uh, 
my Woodward stay uh, halfway through that. I um, I got a phone call from my sponsor saying congratulations, and I was like, yeah, what's what's happened? And uh, VG6 had just been released, and um, I got a, a couple of uh, mentions, a few clips in VG6, uh, which was very cool. I was yeah happy with that. Um, Toys beneath my feet, you know, the Australian section. Uh, it was cool, along with you know all my friends. Um, still enjoy watching that one, and I've never been hugely into videos, um, but that was awesome. Um, and then, um, is that the first one uh, that you were in, in terms of like American? That was any the first American, American video. Yeah. yeah, there's been yeah. Uh, there was a couple after that, but. Um, yeah, that was the first one in which it was easy. You know, they had my name up on the screen. There it is. Um, that was fantastic. Yeah, nice. And uh, at the time, Dave Payne was there at uh, at Woodward, and you know, uh, chatting to him and all, all the guys. Um, they were were talking about the next VG, and you know, it was just cool to be there. You know, on the ground level, talking to the people who are actually doing the stuff. Um, not yeah. just talking to someone who's talking to someone who's heard a rumor. Um, yeah, it was very, very cool. Um, and from there we, uh, we jumped on another bus and, uh, went to Woodward for the National Inline Skate Series, NIS. And once again, I'm starstruck with, uh, Rawlinson Rivera and, uh, B Harden and all these guys, uh, Tyler Shields, who, you know, guys who I'd only seen in videos, once again in a different place and uh, experiencing American culture in a a different location. And Wildwood, just an amazing location. And uh, this time, listening to my my mentor, who wasn't around this time, uh, Cesar had run off to a different place. I think there was uh, X Games was coming up. Uh, so Tim and Cesar were both off doing the, the X Games thing while I was uh, in Wildwood. And uh, this time, thought about my run and did exactly what I wanted to do, uh, trick for trick. And lo and behold, I get first place. And um, What was your superpower? What, what, what gave you first? Well, what do you reckon? Uh, I had this at the time... I had this really nice way of being able to do a 720 where I could turn my shoulders at the start and it actually went inverted. But I didn't have to do that. So I was actually able to do a forwards 540, a forwards McTwist, a forwards 720, and a forwards 720 McTwist, all within like back-to-back tricks, uh, just with a, mm. a fakey bio and a fakey five. And so I think being able to do about seven spin tricks all within um, within five or six walls uh, was just it. And um, they had the same uh, knockout uh, format. And, um, yeah, I've got a video kicking around somewhere. I wish I could find it. And <laughs> But, um, yeah, ended up winning that one. And, awesome. Um, yeah, I was stoked with life. Uh, so got the the big check at the end of that one. Got uh, all the big prizes. Got myself a new watch and a Walkman, 
and some new cool jackets and hats and more like I needed to buy a new suitcase and luckily one of the sponsors was Eastpac so they were just giving me bags so um, I ended up going home with three bags and uh, it was just the, the, the best day I could bang on about it but I shan't um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, one day where I, I tried my hand at uh, at street and did my all my my vertex on the street, uh, doing the the spins and flips, and um, yeah, didn't do so well, and started to notice that really you know people weren't doing those spins and that sort of stuff on street anymore. You know, coming into late '97, it was really pushing towards the grinding. And, you know, I had grinds, but it just wasn't to that extent. Um, and, you know, with B-Love doing, um, uh, he was doing these rolls. They were basically um, just rolling backwards down shotgun rail, down a shotgun rail. And uh, Rawlinson backsliding. And uh, the yeah. backslides weren't just, you know, these little chink backslides, which you, you're basically just jumping over the rail and putting your foot in that place. He actually had the lock and the balance on, like, a 20-foot rail. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, it was tight between him and Josh for winning that um, that competition. Um, but ran out of that, uh, had a t- quick drive over to... Um, where were we? Uh, Atlantic City. Uh, kicked around there for a while. That was interesting, seeing the um, the slums right next to casinos. Uh, mm. Definitely something that um, you know gave me pause. Looking at um, the the culture there in that particular city, and then going through um, New York after that, uh, just seeing this sprawling, sprawling like metropolis was amazing skyscrapers yeah, going on and just on and on as far yeah. as you could see like you know mm. we we're used to looking out the the window and seeing you know field 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 and then uh, you'd start to see a couple of houses and then you get into the the airport but here you know flying into new york you're flying over buildings for half an hour beforehand mm. um <laughs> and yeah coming down like as you're coming into land um and the yeah you're you're coming right down on top of the buildings. It was quite a, an experience, and something that we yeah I'd never seen before anyway. Uh, but yeah. then we were back home, and it was all over. Ad Beef Rollerblading Podcast is produced by Mikey Lynch. Theme music by Edifice Architect. You can find us on Facebook and SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have any questions, comments, requests, or podcast contributions, please message us on Facebook. To support the podcast, find us on Patreon and pledge a once-off or regular contribution. Even just two bucks a month, every little bit helps. See you later.